Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our teacher, Steve Butler. We are in a series right now exploring the important prophecy terms found in God's Word. You can follow along with our free study guide that you can download from our website. Simply visit whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Click on the program name, Exploring Bible Prophecy, and there you will find our free study guide. So open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy. Hello, and welcome once again to Exploring Bible Prophecy. We are currently in our teaching series entitled Important Prophetic Terms, Important Prophecy Terms that uh, I believe are important to understand uh, in order to look at the whole flow of God's prophetic plan that has yet to unfold uh, in the um, next number of uh, years starting to unfold. Remember, the first prophetic sign that starts this whole thing is really the next prophetic sign, and that is a signless event, if you will, and that is the rapture of the church. And then once the rapture of the church takes place, things move along rapidly. And as we look at our uh, next series that will immediately follow these seven prophetic sets of terms that we're going through right now, as we um, see that event of the rapture take place, things move rapidly through the tribulation. And of those 30 events, almost all of them occur very quickly. They all occur between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ. And then there's a handful that follow that with the millennial kingdom and the great white throne judgment and the setting up of um, eternity, if you will, with the, the cleansing of the earth and the removal of sin and the throwing of Satan into the lake of fire to be gone forever, to be gone for eternity. But between now and the second coming of Christ, there are a lot of events that take place. And there are terms that are used throughout the prophetic scriptures to describe those times. And if you don't have a grasp of those terms, um, I believe that you can be misled easily. And there's a lot of misleading going on out there um, in a variety of ways that uh, have people perplexed and kind of, if you will, uh, if not uh, literally, at least figuratively, throwing up their hands in frustration because they want to understand God's Word, but they are being told things that, as you read through it, they don't seem to make sense. So hopefully by going through these seven sets of prophetic terms and and showing uh, from the Scriptures the difference between these terms so that when you read them, you don't mistakenly take them for the same thing and thereby get misled and um, get frustrated uh, through a misunderstanding of the Scriptures particularly as you're sitting in church or sitting in your Sunday school or uh, even in your quiet time as you read these things and you go, well, I'm reading this and I'm seeing it this way, but I'm hearing it differently from the pulpit or from the Sunday school teacher or whatever. This is the value of Bible study, and that value results in discernment. Discernment is such a key word for a Christian when it comes to the Bible because uh, there is such a great effort that has been underway for many, many centuries, and I, I don't exaggerate that at all, many, many centuries, a, an effort underway by Satan to distort, to distort the Scriptures as much as he possibly can to favor his position, and of course his position 
uh, is diametrically opposite from the position of God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. So that's why we're spending the time, uh, one, overall in this ministry, looking at prophecy and how important it is, but here specifically in our second teaching series here on prophetic terms and how important it is to understand these. And we've gone through the Son of God and contrasted it with the Son of Man, and now we're finishing up here the second uh, set of terms, contrasting the day of Christ, which is talking about the rapture of the church, and it's only specific uh, to and focused on the church, and then the day of the Lord, which involves everybody else. So really, when you look at it, between the day of Christ and the day of the Lord, you address all of mankind, um, particularly as we go forward uh, from the point of the rapture of the church. We don't know when that's going to be, but I believe it's not going to (laughs) be too far in the future. And once that happens, we've got a short period of time. We know of at least seven years because of the seven-year tribulation. And then we have uh, the day of the Lord, uh, a period of time that actually starts at the midpoint of the tribulation and goes into the millennial kingdom to the great white throne. So technically speaking, according to the scriptures, it's we can pretty much say that the day of the Lord is 1,300 uh, 1, and uh, a half years, if you will, halfway through the tribulation from the second half to the end and then through the millennial kingdom according to the way Peter describes it. But it is a time of judgment, a time of uh, persecution of those and judgment and uh, execution of the judgment. Uh, that uh, involves the the day of the Lord. And we've been looking at a number of the scriptures in the Old Testament in point number two, looking at the day of the Lord. And we finished up with our last Old Testament scripture in our last program, and that was in Malachi in the last chapter. So really, if you look at the English version of the Bible, uh, the King James, the NASB, and so forth, our our understanding of the um, 39 books of the Old Testament, it ends with Malachi. Of course, the Jewish Bible uh, the Jewish Tanakh, which is the Old Testament to them, they obviously do not include the New Testament, uh, ends with Chronicles. Uh, and it's funny, it ends with genealogy, which is Chronicles, and then it begins, the New Testament begins with Matthew and with a genealog- genealogical review um, of the bloodline of Jesus, at least from Abraham, which was Matthew's perspective, understanding that it's also in Luke another genealogical perspective, but it goes all the way back to Adam because of the bloodline that Jesus, uh, that the Lord wanted mankind to understand, that bloodline that must run from the first Adam to the last Adam, which is Jesus, because of the role that Jesus plays um, during the tribulation as the kinsman redeemer. So we were in Malachi chapter 4, that last chapter of the last book of the Bible in the Old Testament, the Old Testament, and it says um, in chapter 4 of Malachi, verse 5, it says, Behold, and this is God talking, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. So there is the day of the Lord again, and they call it the great and terrible day of the Lord. And as we mentioned in our last uh, program, that when Jesus came the first time, what's called his first advent, um, this all would have taken place then if Israel had recognized Jesus as the promised Old Testament Messiah, but they did not. So the Elijah that would have come then 
was John the Baptist. In fact, I think you go to Matthew chapter 11, and it talks about how um, John the Baptist would have been Elijah if you had believed, but they didn't. So Elijah, the prophet of the Old Testament from the 9th century B.C., from the 800s, will be resurrected, and he will be um, the one who ushers in um, the coming, the second coming of the Lord, just as was prophesied back in, uh, if you look at Malachi chapter 3, we're in, in chapter 4, just uh, look across the page at chapter 3, verse 1, and it says, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And that is what Elijah will do, uh, uh, starting at the midpoint of the tribulation, after the first three and a half years, and he will be clearing the way for the second coming of Christ, And uh, just as John the Baptist came preaching the coming of Christ the first time, but again, that ended in unbelief and uh, a non-acceptance of Jesus. So we see the, the last chapter of the last book of the Old Testament talking to the Jews about the great and terrible day of the Lord and how Elijah would come. So now we want to move from the Old Testament as we... um, mentioned we would do in our last program and move into the New Testament. And again, remember that uh, a lot of the New Testament is is uh, geared, if you will, focused on, directed to the church, and therefore there's not a lot of talk about the great and terrible day of the Lord, because the talk is about the day of Christ. And if you have your worksheet that's available from the uh, website here, that the radio station that you can download, you can see that the scriptures that we used for the day of Christ are all New Testament scriptures because we're talking about the rapture of the church. The church and the concept of the rapture were uh, a mystery and unknown in the Old Testament because it does not apply to Israel. But the day of the Lord squarely applies to Israel. So consequently, you see so many um, passages in the Old Testament. And now we move into 1 Thessalonians. And the background of 1 Thessalonians is that the uh, mostly Gentiles uh, that were living in Thessalonica, and this was a a major city in northeastern Greece at the time of Paul's missionary journeys around the the 40s uh, and the 50s um, A.D., so this would have been 10 to 20-plus years after Christ had been uh, crucified, buried, and gloriously resurrected. And they have been taught by Paul in uh, 1 Thessalonians, and he basically told them in the short time, the few weeks that he was with them on the Sabbaths, and I've got to believe at other times while he was there, all about eschatology, which is the study of end times, because they were under pretty severe persecution by the Romans, because the Romans were the empire in charge of the modern world at that time, and they were dictating uh, religious conviction. And that religious conviction should be that you worship Caesar, that you worship the Roman emperor in Rome as God. And if you don't, uh, you are at least harassed, and uh, it could be at the penalty of death. So these um, Thessalonians living there in Greece at this time were worried. They were worried that... uh, this persecution was actually the persecution of the tribulation. And, of course, Paul's uh, focus here in both 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians 
written about um, oh, six months or so apart, was to clarify the point that, no, they had not missed the rapture of the church, that they were not experiencing the day of the Lord. So he tries to clarify this for them. And let's go to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, it's about, oh, I don't know, halfway through your New Testament. And if you've been with us for a while, you should have a fairly good idea where um, most of these major books are. And that's another one of the major reasons why we look at so many scriptures, uh, not just for the fact that the truth is there, but that the truth is found all through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And it may be a New Testament concept that we're talking about, such as the day of day of the Lord, or excuse me, day of Christ, uh, and the coming day of the Lord, but you find it talked about all through the Bible if you will simply uh, ask the Holy Spirit to guide you in that direction to find the, uh, if you will, the cooperating evidence uh, in the rest of the Bible that... Uh, I, again, I do not disparage at all um, commentaries. They're great. They're very, very helpful. But I also want to make the point very clear that the Bible is a self-contained book. The Bible, if you give it the opportunity, um, and I say it, uh, it's really the Holy Spirit. If you give the Holy Spirit the opportunity to lead you into an understanding, the Bible explains itself, the Bible will uncover truth throughout, uh, and truth, individual truth, related truth. And, of course, it's, it's truth to everyone, truth to the Jew, truth to the believing church, and truth to the unbeliever. Uh, so it's all there if you'll just give it the chance. So we go to 1 Thessalonians, and we go to the last chapter of 1 Thessalonians, and this is one of the um, uh, passages where you have to pay attention to the pronouns you have to pay particular attention to the pronouns to get the full um, understanding of what uh, Paul is trying to tell the Thessalonians, and um, because he goes from we to they, and he does that quite a bit in his two letters to the Thessalonians, particularly, but also in his other writings. And remember, Paul was the prolific writer. Uh, he wrote just short, one book short <laughs> of half the New Testament. And of course, he was writing primarily to the church, but remember the church was made up of Gentiles and Jews. And we go to 1 Thessalonians, and we go to 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 2, and it says in verse 2, for you yourselves know full well. So how could they know full well? Remember, Paul had been teaching them. Uh, we've made the point a few times before that a lot of churches, uh, particularly the, the youth ministers with the youth, uh, say you really shouldn't be talking about eschatology, you shouldn't be talking about uh, the prophecy passages, because that's something that needs to be developed in a mature Christian, that we need to spend a time, just spend most of it, most of our time, if not all of our time, on the pure, simple message of the gospel. Now that is critical, and I've emphasized that over and over again, that is critical that we do that, but we do that with Babes on, on the milk, babes on the milk. But once they've been on the milk for a while, they need to be transitioned to the meat. They need to move on. And, and Paul talks um, all about that, or I should say the writer, and I believe it's Paul, but the writer, the writer of Hebrews makes that point very clear at the very end 
the last few verses of Hebrews chapter 5 and the first couple of verses of Hebrews chapter 6, you need to read that sometime because it's a um, it's an accusation against members of the uh, the church, particularly the Hebrew-believing church, that he was saying that, you know, by now you should be teachers of the Word, but you're still requiring the milk of the Word. Well, that's a responsibility and a fault of the individual, and it's also the responsibility and the fault of the leaders in the church, the spiritual leaders, that that's happening. But he's saying right now in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord, there it is, the day of the Lord will come just as a thief in the night. A thief in the night. And of course, we've heard people uh, from the pulpit, from Sunday schools, from the radio and television ministries and whatnot, talk about the thief of the night. Well, that's obviously the Lord coming for the church. The Lord coming for the church. Now, the interesting thing is, that the, Jesus goes out of his way to explain to you and to me as believers that never does he refer to himself as a thief to the church, as a thief to the church. When he says, I'm coming as a thief, he's coming to the unbelievers and he's coming to Israel. You'll find him only saying that in passages in the Bible that relate to his second coming because most people will not be expecting him to come back and his admonition to the Jews, and we'll go there uh, in some detail, go to Matthew 24, because he uses the term thief to describe himself several times. But we see that he's talking to Israel, and the admonition in these, in fact, in Matthew 24 and 25, there's eight parables. And the, the parables to the people in the tribulation period is be ready, be ready, Maintain your righteousness to the end so that you'll be saved because I'm coming as a thief. And what I'd like to do, I, I do want to spend time here in 1 Thessalonians 5, and we will do that because I want to read all the way down through 11 here because it's a very encouraging passage to the church. But I want to make sure we understand what I'm trying to get across about the thief concept that Jesus uses has nothing to do with the church, has nothing to do with the church. And when we um, take this up in our next program, we're going to go to John chapter 10, John chapter 10, and as homework, if you like, if you'd like, if you would read the first um, 11 verses of John 10, because that's where we'll pick up in our next program to explain why Jesus is not the thief to the church, to the church. But uh, as we always do in our programs, we want to transition now to our question and answer time because we do get questions from our listening audience. And we have a question um, from a listener that says, does the fact that Israel is the wife of God have any impact on end-time prophecy? So that question uh, suggests to me strongly that this person has been studying their Bible because I think most people, when they hear that Israel is the wife of God, go, what? I've never heard that before. I don't understand how that is. Well, the Bible's quite clear in the Old Testament that Israel is the wife of God. So think about it. When you understand, and we'll look at some scriptures, 
when you understand that Israel is the wife of God, and then you go to that um, pretty well-known passage in Genesis chapter 12 where it says, God is saying, those who curse you, and he's, you is Israel, so you is, <laughs> God is saying, those who curse my wife, I will curse, and those who bless my wife, I will bless. That's basically what he's saying. And when you, when you put it in the context of a wife, as opposed to an, an entity, a, a political, if you will, political entity existing in a geographic place in the world, and I'm referring to Israel, you get one impact, but when you understand that this is God talking about his wife, you get a whole different perspective. So for this listener to make the point that Israel is the wife of God and wanting to know if it has any impact on end-time prophecy is, is uh, I think, pretty insightful. So when you, you explore the Bible, and of course we, we know here at Exploring Bible Prophecy that when you explore the Bible, you have to do it with the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I want to make that point. I want to stop right here because this is so germane to everything we do here at Exploring Bible Prophecy. And it's a passage in the book of John. So let's just stop right here and go to the book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament, and go to John chapter 16. This is part of what is called the Upper Room Discourse, and this is one of the two discourses that Jesus had with the apostles. The first one is the Olivet Discourse. The second one is the Upper Room Discourse, and we are going to, that is the fourth point. If you have um, been following along, you know that we have seven sets of uh, prophetic terms, and the fourth set of terms that we're going to contrast uh, is the difference between the Olivet Discourse and the Upper Room Discourse. There is a dramatic difference, a dramatic change in focus uh, between these two discourses between Jesus and his apostles. And in John chapter 16, so basically uh, 13 through 17 is the Upper Room Discourse found in the book of John. And we want to go to chapter 16. Chapter 16 and I want to read verses 12 through 14. It says in John chapter 16, verse 12, and this is Jesus speaking to the apostles in the upper room. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Verse 13, but when he capitalized, and then he explains who he is, he, the spirit of truth, comes he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. So why did I go to this passage in John 16? Uh, it is one of the most exciting passages for me in all the Bible, because it is Jesus. And remember, as you read through the Upper Room Discourse, Jesus is basically saying that the Father has sent me, and everything that the Father has, he has given me. And now I am going back to heaven. I'm going back home to wait for my, my Father to send me back for my bride, 
And that, of course, is a reference to the whole ancient Jewish wedding. The whole rapture of the church and being taken back to heaven is a picture of an ancient Jewish wedding between, obviously, the bridegroom and the bride. So he says, I'm going to go back to heaven, but before I go, I'm going to send a helper. He's referred to a helper several places. As a matter of fact, if you look right up in verse 7, he says in verse 7, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I, Jesus, go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. What a wonderful promise. And then he says, that helper, the spirit of truth, when he comes and you accept me, and the key, the key thing here is accepting me. He's talking now, if you will, to the church. Even though he hasn't been um, crucified, buried, and resurrected yet, uh, and the church doesn't happen until 50 days after he leaves the earth, uh, he has promised that he will send the Holy Spirit to us, and those who accept him as their Lord and Savior, he will give them the Holy Spirit. And it tells us in John 14, John 14, verse 16, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he, the helper, may be with you forever. So this Holy Spirit that um, is coming is going to come because Jesus is going back to heaven. So to, make, to, to uh, complete the point I was making just a few moments ago, God gives everything he has to his son, Jesus. Now that Jesus is going back to heaven, everything that Jesus has, which has come from the Father, Jesus is now passing to the Holy Spirit. So think about that. Everything that God has, he gave to Jesus. Jesus is now giving it to the Holy Spirit, who now indwells us. So in effect, everything that God has that he passed to Jesus, that he passed to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit now wants to pass to you. And that point is made very clear there in John 16, verse 13. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you. doesn't say take you, force you. He will guide you into all the truth. What it's basically saying is he wants to give you a full understanding of the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. And the only way that's going to happen is if you allow him to guide you through that. So you basically have to ask the Holy Spirit, please guide me into an understanding of the scriptures. And if you do that, you will have the discernment of right and wrong, good and evil, light and dark that God wants you to have, so that when you listen to the scriptures being taught to you, uh, whomever the source is, when you hear a man or a woman teaching the scriptures to you, sharing the scriptures with you, you will have a discernment of, is that the truth or is it being distorted? And that is so, so important today, because the truth is being distorted in a major, major way today, and that is through the, the leading and the guidance uh, of the Holy Spirit, or excuse me, of Satan. Satan wants the scriptures distorted, and we've talked about that any number of times on this program. So back to my point, when you explore the Bible, you need to do it with the leading of the Holy Spirit, and when you do that, you'll discover a clear, common thread 
running from Genesis to Revelation, and that thread is the relationship between God and his wife, Israel. And we'll pick that up in our next Q&A, in our next program. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Our special offer this month is Consider the Ant, Volume 1, The Basics. Consider the Ant is a biblically-based look at emergency preparedness. You'll be taken through the steps necessary to prepare yourself for the unexpected. This special DVD can be yours for only $20. To get your copy of Volume 1, The Basics from Consider the Ant, simply call us at 878-6279. That's 423-878-6279. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.